Father in heaven, we've been blessed already this morning. It's been a blessing to sing and to praise your name. It's been a blessing to hear stories of what you are doing, how you are at work in lives. And God, now as we come to your word, we're expectant. We believe that your word is transformative, that it's powerful, that it can speak into our hearts and change us and transform us. Lord, this morning we ask that we would be drawn closer to Jesus through this time, that we would learn how we can more closely follow you, how we can walk more closely with you. Please, Holy Spirit, we're not worthy, but we plead the blood of Christ over our lives and ask that you would speak to us this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I don't know how many people actually even noticed it. It was in the parks here and there in Philadelphia. At first it was just one park and maybe a few people began to notice that in the corner of this park there was this box there. Nobody really knew what this box was exactly. I have a picture of one they can put up on the screen. Maybe you will know what it was. I didn't know what it was when I first saw a picture of this box. But it began to appear in more and more parks. They had this box there in the park. It was at various places where there were playgrounds or, or school uh, areas for people to play in. And this box was there in park after park around Philadelphia. People were wondering, well, what exactly is this box? Does anybody know what this box is looking at it? Just looks like maybe a tiny air conditioner or something. There was this box and it had a cage around it, but something began to happen because of this box being in each park. You know, they had a graffiti problem in the parks. Kids had been vandalizing the parks at night, and kids had been doing various things in the playgrounds that suddenly all of this began to stop because of these boxes that were in these parks. Kind of a strange thing. How could a box in a little cage in the corner of a park stop kids from vandalizing a playground? Well, it's actually called a mosquito box. Mosquito, because if you've ever heard the sound of a mosquito buzzing near your ear, you know how annoying that can be. Well, this box puts out a very high-frequency noise that only those with young enough ears are sensitive to be able to hear. And so at, at night, when the playground's supposed to be closed, and when people would go to graffiti it, this box would be playing that high-frequency noise very loudly, and the teenagers could no longer handle it, and they would run away and not graffiti the playgrounds. Pretty amazing thing, isn't it? A lot of people had no idea, though. An older person could have walked into this playground and not been able to hear that high-frequency noise because their ears simply weren't sensitive enough. Their ears weren't tuned in to that frequency. It makes all the difference what we're listening to and how sensitive our ear is to hear a frequency. Go with me to 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, we pick up the story of a couple who long to have a child. They've been wanting to have a child. Well, they longed for it so badly that the husband went and married another wife, as they so often did in Old Testament times. A very bad plan. I'm glad that Faustino and Alicia, they're just married to one. But he went and got another spouse, and this made the marriage even more difficult. And eventually we find Hannah going into the temple and just pleading with God that God would bless her with a child. And Eli the priest at first thinks that she's drunk, but then as he looks at her and she begins to say, no, I'm not drunk. 
I was just praying that God would bless with a child. And he says, well, about this time next year, you're going to have a child. She has a child and she promises that she would dedicate it to the Lord. And sure enough, at the end of chapter 1, they come and they sacrifice. They bring bulls to sacrifice. I mean, this is a big deal for a family to do this. They come and they make this big sacrifice and they bring Samuel and they dedicate him now that he's weaned and that he can be there in the temple and they dedicate him to service for the Lord. They put him there in the temple. Hannah has this beautiful prayer. And then it just describes a few things about Samuel's growing up life here. It says in verse 21 of chapter 2, And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Just a simple phrase. It just says Samuel grew before the Lord. Samuel was there in the temple and he was growing before the Lord. But this reminds us of Luke chapter 2 where it says that that Jesus grew in wisdom and favor with God and man. And it, it keeps repeating this in this chapter. It talks about how Samuel was growing up. If you go down to verse 26, and it's very similar here to what was said about Jesus. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. This is exactly what is said about Jesus in Luke chapter 2. He grew in favor with God and man. Now, would you say that Samuel already has a close walk with God? I mean, this sounds like he's growing with God. He's growing closer to God. He's growing closer to men because of his walk that is closer and closer with God. But then in the next chapter, we suddenly find something happening. Here in a time when it tells us that the word of the Lord was rare, We'll go to 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. Obviously, he knew who the Lord was. Obviously, he spent time in the presence of God. So here he is in the temple. And then it says, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. It wasn't common for a prophet to come and say, Thus says the Lord, because the word of the Lord was rare in that day. And I wonder, was it because God wasn't speaking or was it because the people weren't listening? Did God want to reveal his word at this time or was he just holding it back just so that they wouldn't get to hear what he had to say? There was no widespread revelation. Verse 2, and it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down. Now you have to to realize that Eli is the high priest. If anybody should receive a revelation from God, it was Eli. Eli was the one who would get to go in once a year before the ark on the day of atonement on behalf of God's people. Eli was the one that everybody looked to as the spiritual leader in Israel. Eli should have been the one to hear from God if anybody heard from God. But he actually already had. If you look back in chapter 2, we don't need to go there right now, but God had already sent a prophet to Eli telling him that his sons were committing wickedness. He had allowed his sons, as they had taken on the role of priests, he'd allowed them to mistreat everything that was going on in the sanctuary. 
they would go to somebody who was boiling their meat for sacrifice and they wouldn't wait until part of it had been offered on the altar, but they would just grab it out of the pot and say, just give us the part that's ours. But worse than that, they began to bring in temple prostitute uh, rituals from the cultic religions. They began to do all kinds of vile things in the temple. And it was beginning to push people away from even wanting to come to worship God. Nobody wanted to come and and to be there and to listen to, to what was taking place in the sanctuary because they knew the type of people that were running the sanctuary and they wanted nothing to do with it. So they weren't there. This was a serious deal. And God had sent a prophet in chapter 2 to Eli to to let him know that that this was not okay, that he needed to stop what his sons were doing. So he had had God reveal something to him, but he hadn't acted on it. He hadn't responded to it. He hadn't gone to his sons and, and let them know that it wasn't okay. He hadn't taught his sons to go in a different direction. So now, in chapter 3, in verse 3, it says, Samuel is there. He's lying down before the ark of God. In verse 4 it says, Then the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Samuel may have been serving God. Samuel may have been growing with God. But when the voice of God came, Samuel did not recognize it. This tells me that the the Lord was speaking, that there was revelations going on, but that the ears of the people had become dull. Because Samuel just didn't recognize when the voice of God came. He had no idea that this was God speaking to him, even though he dedicated his life to serve God. Verse 6, Then the word of the Lord came yet, called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now verse 7 explains something to us here. It has it there in parentheses. It says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Wait a minute. Samuel didn't know the Lord? He was giving his entire life in service to God. He lived in the temple. He had been given by his mother to serve the Lord for the rest of his life. How could Samuel be said to not know the Lord? There's a difference between knowing everything about somebody and actually knowing somebody. You can know all the facts, all the statistics. You can understand everything about your favorite basketball player and never have actually had a conversation with him. This may have been the place that Samuel was at. He'd given his life in service to God, and yet there had not taken place that close conversation. He hadn't actually come to the place where he knew the voice of God for himself. He didn't really know God for himself. This makes me realize that in my life, even though I could be a pastor here and I could come and I can talk about God, I can come and I can share stories from the Bible, I can share Bible verses But if I don't really hear the voice of God in my life, if I don't have a personal walk with Him, it's possible that I don't really know God like He wants me to know Him. And I don't want to miss that because John 17.3 says, this is eternal life, that you may know God. That's so essential for us, that we would come to know God for ourselves, that we would have a personal relationship with God. And that is what 
God is trying to do here with Samuel. Verse 8, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time. He's persistent. He continues to send his message. He continues to reach out to Samuel. So he rose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and it shall be. If he calls you, that you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Can you imagine this young boy as he goes and he lays down and he's thinking, wow, is it possible that the God of the universe is actually speaking to me? Is it possible that, that I'm going to respond and I'm actually going to hear God's voice at this point? Here he is, just a boy there ministering in the sanctuary. He goes and he lays down. I imagine he didn't sleep much at that point. But verse 10 continues, Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Notice, he obviously was in awe at this moment because he can't even remember the exact words that Eli asked for him to say. He doesn't say exactly the same thing, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Instead, he just says, speak, for your servant hears. But this, I want to, to, to pause for a moment and just to look at this phrase. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I believe that this is the foundation in Samuel's life that took his walk with God to a whole nother level. As Samuel began to pray this prayer in his life, speak, Lord, for your servant hears, it changed everything. And we're going to see in a minute the direction that Samuel's life takes and the power that God put in Samuel's life is astounding. The closeness of his walk with God is one of the greatest in all of the Bible. And we'll actually see in Jeremiah where it points that out. It compares his walk to the walk that Moses had with God. He had an amazing walk with God, an amazingly close walk with God, and I believe that this is the foundation. He'd come and he was serving God wholeheartedly. He had good intentions, but he didn't know God for himself. But when he learned to pray this prayer, speak, Lord, for your servant hears, it changed everything for Samuel. What is he praying here? Well, first of all, he's asking to hear the voice of God, right? He says, speak, Lord. He's asking that he would hear, he would understand, he would know the message that God has for him. That's the first part of that prayer. But there's a second part too. He says, speak, Lord, for your servant hears, for your servant is listening. Do you see the key to listening to God? It's not just asking that God would speak to you, but it's having the heart that responds to God. The heart of a servant. It's like being at a restaurant. When you're at a restaurant and you have somebody there who's called a server, if you're at a very nice restaurant, that server is going to be very, hopefully at least, attentive to your needs, won't he? All you have to do is just raise your hand or sometimes all you have to do is look around and seem like you're a little anxious or like you're, you're missing something. And they'll be there in a second to say, what do you need? What is it that I could do for you? What can I get for you? How's the food tasting? And they're going to be there to make sure everything's okay. That is listening like a servant. That is being a waiter. You, t- you hear in the Bible where it talks about waiting on God. If you want to wait on God, it's taking the heart of a servant. It's, it's waiting on God with expectation that He's actually going to give you instructions for your life, things for you to do, and things for you, for you to be able to serve Him. 
So Samuel comes and he says, speak, Lord. He wants to hear the voice of God, but not just to hear it so that he can say, I heard God speak to me, but so that he actually knows how to serve God. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Now you see as you go down to the end of the chapter that Samuel fulfills this. He is told by God this message about Eli and his sons and what God is going to do. He says, I'm going to do something that's going to make all the ears tingle. It's going to be so incredible, the judgment that I'm going to pour out. And Samuel is just a young child, and God didn't tell him that he had to go and tell Eli the, the, the vision that he'd given him. So he doesn't immediately run and tell Eli. He just goes about his work the next day. But then in, in verse 17, Eli comes to him. Verse 16, then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Here he is, a young child. Here he is, facing the high priest, the one who is exalted above everybody else in Israel, and he has a message of judgment to bring to him. And yet he holds nothing back. He says, this is what God told me. This is the message that I've been given, and he reveals it all to Eli. And I have to respect the way that Eli responds. If you go on and you keep reading, Uh, down in verse 18, then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. What a way to respond. How do I respond when somebody brings a critique to me? When somebody says, you know, I'm noticing that the Bible says this and you're actually living this way. Do I respond like Eli and say, you know what, that's what God has brought for me. Or when somebody brings counsel for me and says, you know, you're doing things like this and I think it would really help for you to do things like that. How do I respond? It's crucial that we are able to receive counsel, that we're able to listen to a critique. Unfortunately, Eli didn't act on it. He doesn't go to his sons and actually change anything, but at least he listened to what Samuel had to say. Then it goes on again to talk about Samuel continuing to grow. Verse 19 So Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Everything that he spoke came to pass. When Samuel spoke, it was because God had sent him a message and those things came to pass. Verse 20, And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh, by the word of the Lord. Notice here that God appeared, it says, God appeared in Shiloh, that His presence was again seen there. But it wasn't by the Shekinah glory. It wasn't by some visual representation. How was it? It was revealed to the people that God was present in Israel because the word of God was there. Do you want to know the true church? Do you want to know that you're in the right place? You need to go wherever the word of God is. Because that is how God reveals His presence, is through the Word of God. The presence of God was revealed in Shiloh because the Word of the Lord was revealed. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And the Word of Samuel came to all Israel. The Word of the Lord came to Samuel, and Samuel took that Word and he shared it with others wherever he went. I love what it says in 
Manuscript Releases, volume 21, page 337, talking about those who listen to the voice of God. It says, He who listens most earnestly, you know, most attentively, having that servant's ear to listen to what God has to say. He who listens most earnestly and intently for the voice of God loves the Lord the most. It's the most loving thing when we listen to God's word and when we respond to it. And as he loves, and he, as he loves most, he is most beloved by the Father. Learn of me, says the greatest teacher the world ever knew, for I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest unto your souls. You find this in John chapter 14. It reveals that there is a connection between the presence and the love of God and listening to the voice of God and following what He has to say for us. If you go to John chapter 14, last week we talked about the disciple John, and in his writings, you find the love of God is magnified more than anywhere else because God was able to reveal that to him because he opened himself up to the love of God like none of the other disciples did. But in John chapter 14, in verse 21, it says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. So when I say something, when I give an instruction and you actually do it, that's how you can know that you love me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Down in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. When the word comes to you, you'll keep it, you'll guard it, you'll live it out. And my Father will love Him and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. It's important that we listen to the Word of God. That we're sensitive to the Word of God because that is how we hear God's love and that's how we respond to God's love. That's how we abide in God's love is by listening to His instructions, by praying the prayer that Samuel prayed. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. It says in Selected Messages, Volume 3, Page 355, we must open our hearts to the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. We want to become so sensitive to the holy influences that the lightest whisper of Jesus will move our souls till He is in us and we in Him, living by faith in the Son of God. I want to be in that place, don't you? I want to be in that place where the Holy Spirit whispers, when Jesus whispers to my soul that it will move me to action, that I'll respond and that I'll act because I recognize the voice of my best friend Jesus. I want to so love God that I live out the life that He's calling me to live, that I constantly pray the prayer of Samuel, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. As we go on in the book of 1 Samuel, We find story after story where the Word of God comes to Samuel and Samuel brings it to the people. In chapter 7, God's people are lamenting the fact that though the ark has been returned to them, though they should have the presence of God, that that they're still being oppressed by the Philistines. So in chapter 7, in verse 3, Samuel speaks to the whole house of Israel and he gives them steps for them to take in order to have a closer walk with God. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord. You see how it's a heart work. He says, return with all your hearts. Prepare your hearts. Do some heart searching. Look at your own heart. Prepare it to meet with God, and something's going to happen. Serve Him only, and He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the 
the bales and the asterisks and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. You find something interesting that part of Samuel responding as a servant, part of him listening to God's voice is that he entered into the role of intercessor for Israel. When he heard God's voice, he not only went and shared the word with people, but he also earnestly prayed for people. And I believe the closer our walk becomes with the Father, the closer we come to God, the more that we hear His voice, the more that we too will be in prayer for other people. So he begins to pray. He says, I'm going to pray for you if you all gather together. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. This is the point where Samuel really takes on leadership of the children of Israel. And for the next few years, he is in full, uh, I guess, vice generacy of the people of God. God is, in, is the true ruler, and yet God is speaking to him and sharing with him how to judge the people, how to direct the people. So he's praying for the people, he's judging the people, he's bringing justice to them. Verse 7, the Philistines hear about this. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Great. Here they are, they're listening to Samuel. They're finally doing what God has told them to do. They put away the bales, they put away the asterisk, and now everything is going wrong. Have you experienced that before? You begin to wake up early in the morning and you're spending time in your Bible. You're spending more time in prayer. You're beginning to become faithful and coming to church or you're being a part of a life group and suddenly there's like all these attacks happening in your life. Here they are. They're gathered together at Mizpah. They've come together to pray and to seek God and Samuel's praying for them when all of a sudden the Philistines gather to crush them. It's a terrible thing. It seems like the opposite of what should be happening. And so often the devil does that in our lives to terrify us, to keep us away from the direction that we're going. If you find in your life that as you pray, as you seek God, that things get more difficult, you can recognize that you're probably headed the right direction because the enemy wants to discourage you from what you're doing. Now they're terrified here because they have no weapons. We read that the Philistines had actually worked it out so that there were no more blacksmiths in all of Israel. So that meant that you couldn't just go down to your local blacksmith and have him make you a sword. You had to actually go to the Philistines and pay them exorbitant fees in order to sharpen your pitchfork or to, to, to hopefully make some sort of weapon that you might be able to fight against them with. And obviously they weren't going to help you very much because they didn't want you to be powerful enough to fight back. So here they are, they're an unarmed band of people. It tells us later on that the only people who had swords at this point were Saul and his son Jonathan. So here you have a group of unarmed people, they're there at Mizpah, and they have no way to defend themselves. So here's what the children of Israel do, verse 8. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, they recognize in Samuel a close walk with God. And so they, they, they ask for Samuel, they say this in verse 8, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. They get it. They realize that the answer that they seek, 
is going to come from crying out to the God of the universe, from Samuel calling out to their God for them. They want him to be praying for them. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel and the Lord answered him. You know, we can't just come into the presence of God in our own righteousness. It takes the righteousness of Jesus. It takes the shed blood of a lamb in order for us to approach the throne of God boldly. When we come to God in prayer, we need to make sure that He's cleansed our hearts, that we've confessed our own sins before we go and we plead for the salvation of others. But as Samuel begins to plead for the salvation of others, he first offers this burnt lamb, this, this lamb as a sacrifice, and then he begins to cry out to God. And then look what happens, verse 10. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. Here's this huge army coming and they're coming to squash them and and the people to say, well, all we have left to do is let's just pray. And Samuel begins to pray and he sacrifices that lamb that represented Jesus. And as their eyes are fixed on Jesus and they're praying for God to deliver them, God responds in a massive way. Sends thunder and it confuses the army and it enables them to be able to conquer this army even though they themselves had no weapons. So it goes on in verse 15 to say, Then Samuel judges Israel all of his days, all the days of his life. Uh, I skipped a part here where it talks about that Samuel, as a memorial to this victory, he, he raises up an Ebenezer. He puts up this stone so that they can look back and remember what God has done for them. Ebenezer meaning stone of help, so that they could walk past that and remember. It was when we cried out to God that He delivered us. And when you sing that hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, uh, when it gets to that line and it says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. Sometimes people wonder, what is that talking about? This is where that comes from. It comes from that story of recognizing, raising a memorial to God's goodness, that He answers prayer, that He delivers His people because of the righteousness of Jesus in answer to prayer. We find that Samuel continues in this life of service to God, in a life where he continues to pray, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Chapter 9 and verse 15, it says that, Now the Lord told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came. At this point, Israel has now decided that they want their own king. Samuel has gotten old and they want to replace him with a king. But notice that God is still speaking really clearly to Samuel and he speaks in his ear. It uses this language like God is just there whispering to Samuel saying, Hey, today Saul's going to come. And he's going to be the one that you should anoint for king. Sure enough, in chapter, at the end of the chapter, verse 27, and as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on, but you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. God didn't just send messages of judgment to, Saul, to Samuel. When he sent Samuel message, sometimes it was with the purpose of letting somebody know that they're chosen. And this can be one of the best things that God reveals to you and I. When, when we ask for Him to speak, 
the first thing that he tells us can be that we are chosen as sons and daughters of God. And then for us to take that and share that with other people, that, that they are chosen by God, that they are people that God wants, that God wants to save, that he wants for them to be sons and daughters of God. That's one of the greatest messages that we can take to people. You know, in my own experience in hearing the voice of God, it's been a growing experience for me. And I found that there are various ways that God will speak. If you have a pen, you might want to write down just some of the ways that that I have noticed in my own life. And I've learned some of this from George Mueller, a man who listened to the voice of God so clearly that he established orphanages without having any specific donors and without any way to raise funds, but God provided for him to do amazing things for God. But there are various ways that God speaks to us. One of the ways is that God will speak to us through his word. That's the clearest way that God is going to speak to us. We have his word, and as we read it, there are clear instructions, and and there are times where he'll take it and he'll make it so personalized to our life that we'll recognize that that is the voice of God. Sometimes God will speak to us by impressions in our life. He'll impress upon us the way that we should go, the things that we should do, the people that we should talk to. Sometimes God will speak to us. So first of all, we had through the Word of God, sometimes through impressions, and sometimes He speaks to us through providence, through the opening or closing of doors that we're asking about, God, should I take this job? Should I take that job? And sometimes God will answer by closing doors or opening doors for us to walk through. Sometimes He'll speak by the Word of God. Sometimes He will speak uh, through impressions. Sometimes He'll speak by the opening of providence. And then... There are other times where he speaks to the people around us and gives them counsel for us. Proverbs tells us that there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And those are some of the main ways that I've found in my own experience that God speaks clearly to me. But I hope that you've found for yourself that it's in that devotional time with God that he'll speak the most clearly to you. For me, in the morning as I'm reading, it helps me so much to begin to pray this prayer that Samuel prayed, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I remember back in 2015, Leah and I knew that the conference was going to be giving us a call to move somewhere. And we weren't exactly thrilled about that at first because there was a ministry that God had blessed. There was, especially Leah, had some really close friendships in our church there in Modesto. And there was a children's ministry that she was doing that we just loved those kids and it was such a blessing to us. But the conference had let us know that we couldn't stay there much longer and that they were for sure going to be giving us a call and that we would have two or three calls to choose from when they came to us. Well, I'll skip the first one that came, which was really just a miraculous way that God opened up the next door that I believe is the best door that he could have possibly opened for me, the biggest blessing in my life. But I remember that day when we had been praying that God would make it very clear to us. Pierre Steenberg had called and he mentioned that there was this church, Templeton Hills, that might come open and that it might be an opportunity for us to come and be pastor here. And we weren't sure. You know, this is an exciting thing. I'd had an experience here in the past with Pathfinders as a kid and I remember this as being a, a loving church, a great church, and I thought, I know Ivor Myers, he's a a great pastor, a great friend of mine, and I I see a lot of potential for that church, but but I want to know, is this where God is calling me? How do I know for sure that God wants me at this place at this time? 
I remember that morning as I woke up, I think it was in January of 2015, I woke up in the morning, I think it was the 24th, and I was just reading through the Revived by His Word passage for that day, which happened to be John 15. And as I read through it, the verse that it kind of stuck out to me was John chapter 15 and verse 16 that says, He has not chosen you, but, or you have not chosen Him, but He has chosen you and appointed you that you should go and that your fruit should remain. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. I want to bear fruit in my life. And it wasn't long until there was a text message from a person that I usually sent text messages to to encourage, to let him know that I was praying for him and I would send Bible verses to him. He didn't often send me specific verses or, or send me texts unprompted. But this day, Jack sent me a text message. And as I opened up my phone and looked at this text message, guess what it was? John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I have chosen you and appointed you that you should go and that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. I thought, wow, that's interesting. Twice in one day. This, is, this, this seems like maybe God is trying to say something to me, but I don't just want to jump to conclusions. God, would you keep confirming this? And as I began to look at that verse, I realized that it said some things that I was concerned about. Should I go? Well, it says I should go, and I had no idea this call was coming. So it seems like, yeah, maybe this is God calling me to this. And then it says something else. It says that your fruit will remain. And that's what we're worried about for Modesto. We're hoping that Kids Night will continue on, that these, these kids, what's going to happen to them? We're praying that that fruit will remain. Well, maybe this is God speaking to me. And I, I had a hospital visit to go on. And as I was driving to the hospital, I had been looking at the sermons on, on, on the Templeton Hills website. And I saw that Ron Chalker had a sermon on there, and it was, I believe, called House of Prayer. And so I looked at that, and I said, well, that sounds really interesting. And I started to listen to that sermon on my way back from the hospital visit. And as I was driving along, he began to talk about the power of prayer. And he said, what if as a church we had just seven requests? What would we ask for? And I believe there was also a special prayer time for Faustino as I forget who we were, maybe for Bruce Parrish at that time there. Anyway, it was a really special church service where there was this prayer time together. And as I was listening in, I thought, wow, this is an amazing praying church family that has a vision for how to reach the community who's praying big prayers. And it was so inspiring to me that I actually began to tear up listening to that sermon. So I remember listening to that. I went in and I got my hair cut. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about John 15, 16. I was thinking about how I listened to this sermon and it seemed like God was pulling some pieces together. And then I was driving back to our house and Leah was fixing lunch and as I walked into our house, she was fixing lunch and I began to help her and I was kind of talking to her about some different things and we still were just kind of processing, trying to figure out, is this where God is calling us? And as we were talking, suddenly my phone vibrates. And I looked down and a young adult had texted me. Another guy who he'd kind of been drifting away from God and he didn't regularly text me Bible verses, but guess what Bible verse he texted me that day? John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I have chosen you and appointed you that you should go and that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Leah looked at me and she said, what happened? I had this look on my face, my mouth was gaping open. She's like, what happened now? What's going on now? And I said, let me tell you what God has been showing me today. And I can't tell you how much confidence it brought into our lives just to know that God 
was calling us. We didn't know the, the end and the beginning of the whole story, but we knew that God was calling us. And just to know that you're in the place where God is calling you means everything. Just to pray that prayer, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, opens up so many doors in our lives. It's a radically transforming thing to know that you are chosen. Just look at what Samuel tells to Saul. After he tells him that you are chosen, that God has chosen you, this is what he tells him in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 6. He says, you're going to go and you're going to meet these people and then this is going to take place in verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. He says, Saul, you're going to be radically transformed by this experience. The Spirit of God is going to come upon you and you're going to be totally changed by it. That's what it means to be chosen by God. When God said to Jesus, when the Father said to, to His Son, you are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased is when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Him. And we can be accepted in the beloved as sons and daughters of God and powerful things can happen in our lives if we remain receptive to listen as a servant to the voice of God. Later on at Saul's coronation, it's really interesting to see what, what the Israelites ask of him. In chapter 12 and verse 23, he's addressing them and letting them know, hey, you've chosen a king over God being your king and this isn't going to turn out well for you. But they have asked him to keep on praying for him. And so in verse 23, he says, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. This is coming from a man who the people have said, yeah, you're our judge, but we need a king. They have seemingly rejected him. They've, they've turned their back on his leadership. And yet here he is saying, well, I'm just going to keep on praying for you. I won't sin against God by stopping to pray for you. I'm going to keep on interceding for you. We see this again and again throughout his life. Later on, he's sent with messages to Saul to let Saul know that, hey, you've messed up. How you went and offered the sacrifice that I was supposed to do, that was a mistake. And God is going to find a king after his own heart. Later on, when he sends him to the Philistines to conquer Agag, and the, the Philistines are supposed to destroy everything, and then they bring back with them Agag, and they bring back uh, sheep and, and, and stuff from, from the, the, the pillage, Samuel has to go and deliver a message and tell him that, listen, you've messed up and God has rejected you as king. But look at the heart of Samuel. You know, sometimes we think, well, we need to be reprovers of sin. We need to get out there and share the truth. We need to let people know how it really is. But look at the heart of Samuel when he receives a message from God that Saul has been rejected as king. In chapter 15 and verse 10, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel. You'll find this again and again in the story of Samuel. The word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. Samuel who had been replaced by Saul. Samuel who had every right to, to just want to see Saul fail. It grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night long. What a compassionate heart. 
What a heart that is just like the heart of Jesus. The heart of an intercessor. This is what takes place when we pray that prayer. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. He begins to speak to us and we begin to have a heart as we respond to that that is filled with love that's willing to lay down our own life for somebody else. This is what revival is all about. In First Selected Messages, chapter 121, it talks about how desperately we need to see a revival like took place with the Israelites when Samuel encouraged them to put aside the idols. It says, The revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. There must be earnest effort to obtain the blessing of the Lord, not because God is not willing to bestow His blessing upon us, but because we are unprepared to receive it. Our Heavenly Father is more willing to give His Holy Spirit to them that ask Him than our earthly parents to give good gifts to His children. But it is our work by confession, by humiliation, repentance, and earnest prayer to fulfill the conditions upon which God has promised to grant us His blessing. A revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. There's power when we come together in prayer. When we come to prayer meeting, when we come to church, when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time as a family together, praying together, there is power and answer to prayer that brings life to someone. Continues, it says, the old standard bearers knew what it was to wrestle with God in prayer and to enjoy the outpouring of His Spirit. But these are passing off from the stage of action. And who are come up to fill their places? How is it with the rising generation? Are they converted to God? Do we know what it's like to wrestle with God? Do we know what it's like to cling to God like Jacob did? To not let Him go until He bless us? Are we willing to earnestly pray like the men of old prayed? Because that is what will bring revival. And Samuel prays earnestly for Saul. And at first, Saul seems to reject every message that comes But you can see glimmers that God worked in dramatic and awesome ways in in Saul's life because of the prayers that Samuel was praying for him. We don't see it immediately. Samuel is sent on a mission to, to communicate that God has chosen David as king. He goes and he anoints him. We'll skip over that story. And if you go down to 1 Samuel chapter 19, Saul has now turned this wicked spirit into he's now trying to kill David, the next appointed king. And as he's trying to kill David, David runs to Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 18, it says, So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah. For years, we... For, for chapters, which represents years, Samuel has just been off at Ramah and we don't hear much about his leadership in Israel, what he's doing there. We believe one of the schools of the prophets was there and that he was training people to follow God faithfully. But David runs to Samuel and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went out and stayed in Naioth. Now it was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is at Naioth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to David, and when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. This is amazing. Here Saul sends his soldiers out to attack David, to go and bring David back, and when the soldiers get there, they begin to prophesy. The Spirit of God comes upon them, and it transforms them, and they begin to prophesy along with them. 
And then it just keeps getting better. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time. He's just not giving up. He's trying to get to David. And the third time they go and they prophesy likewise. Then verse 22, Saul just doesn't get it. Then he also went to Ramah. He thinks, well, okay, they may be influenced by this, but I'm not going to be influenced by it. And he came to the great well that is at Seku. So he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they are at Naoth and Ramah. So he went there to Naoth and Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes. Now this is talking about his outer kingly robe, which just symbolizes a real humbling of himself. And prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked, just wearing his inner clothes, all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Do you wonder if your prayers for somebody makes a difference? Do you wonder if intercessory prayer can transform a hardened heart? Look at what happened to Saul. When Saul came, God did everything possible, even to the place of the Holy Spirit, just overwhelming him to the place where he too began to prophesy. He too began to be taken over by God. And I only wish that Saul had continued to yield to the Holy Spirit. But I don't want you to miss this point, that there is power when you pray for others. And this is a crucial part of having a closer walk with God, to hear His voice, to share His voice, and to pray for others. It's as we enter into an intercessory life for others, like Samuel lived in not ceasing to cry out for the children of Israel, in praying for Saul, even though Saul had done so many bad things, in continuing to pray, it's as we do that that we enter into the most close relationship with Jesus possible. Because in Hebrews chapter 4, or chapter 7 and verse 25, it tells us that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost since he always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is our most high priest and he lives constantly to make intercession for us. He's praying for you this morning. He's praying for that loved one that you're concerned about this morning. And if you want to enter into a closer walk with Jesus, participate with him in praying for others. Join him in what he loves to do. And as you join him in that, you too will have a closer walk with Jesus because you're thinking about the same things. You're focused on the same things and your hearts will be bound closer together. Now look at Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 1. Here it describes something about Samuel's prayer life that is fascinating to me. Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses... Now what greater intercessor was there than Moses? We're going to actually look at that in our study guide in our life groups this week. The life that Moses lived. Even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Of all the intercessors in the Bible, when God says, with, if the greatest intercessors possible were praying for these people, He picks Moses, who that's kind of obvious, we know that, and Samuel. Did you realize that Samuel was that close to God, that, that he and Moses had one of the closest walks in all of the Old Testament with God? 
And we see the results of it. We see the fruit of it. But you notice here that it says, even with their prayers, even though they are so close to God, I may not be able to save this people. Because in the end, we can't make the choice for anybody else to receive the Spirit of God. Samuel interceded for Saul, and eventually Saul decided to totally reject it and decided to turn away and decided to commit suicide. But if he hadn't have prayed for him, Saul wouldn't have had as much opportunity as he did. And as you pray for your loved ones, as you pray for those kids who aren't in church next to you and you wish they were there, for that parent, that spouse, that person in your life who you wish saw the love of Jesus, God can show up in their lives. He can arrest their attention. He can send His Spirit. If He can arrest an evil king in His path to kill somebody and turn him into a prophet on the spot, how much more can He answer your prayer for your loved one that you just want to see the love of Jesus? You've heard a little bit of a story recently where Yoli went to somebody's door back in 2014, I believe it was, a few years ago, and she knocked on a door in a Tascadero, and she shared this here a couple weeks ago, how she knocked on that door, it was the last door of the day, and she just felt God telling her to do one more door, and she went to that door, she knocked on the door, the the guy opened the door, and they just had this amazing interaction, found out that he was a Seventh-day Adventist before, And she just encouraged him, or not that he was a Seventh-day Adventist, but he had connections to the Seventh-day Adventist church. She gave him some DVDs and a book and said, you've really got to get back to God. That was an amazing experience for her. She went back to the group and she began to tell them about what an incredible encounter this was. But fast forward two years, here she is in Templeton. God called her here again. And as she's been here, she's been working up at the Spanish group and Lo and behold, this couple comes to Bible studies and she begins to have Bible studies with them and eventually she goes to their house. And as she goes to their house, she's walking up the stairs and she looks. She says, it can't be that door. Yes, it is that door. And as she goes to that door, she says, were you living here two years ago? Is this the house where you were? And they say, yeah, we've we've been here for several years. So did did a, a girl knock on your door and give you... DVDs and a book. I said, yeah. And since then, we've been studying and we've been praying and we've been headed back towards God. And that's part of why we came to church when we saw the flyer. What an incredible thing two weeks ago, on, I think it was two weeks ago on Sabbath, to be able to baptize Luis. Not just because of what had happened with Yoli hearing the voice of God and going to her door the first time, or the second time in coming to Templeton and being able to share with Lewis. But also because I learned the story that Luis's mom had been praying for him for years. She'd been praying for him year in and year out. She was a Seventh-day Adventist and just wanted for him to come to church. In fact, her dying request to him was, will you please get baptized? Then she went to her grave with a son whose heart seemed hardened. A son whose heart seemed like he would not respond to the voice of God no matter her pleadings, no matter her praying, no matter what she tried to say. And yet, two weeks ago, we had a beautiful time where we got to baptize Luis because God finally broke through. And I believe all along He was using those prayers to reach His heart. 
Don't give up in praying. Don't give up in sharing the love of Jesus. Don't give up on praying the prayer of Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening because it can radically transform every life around you. As I close this morning, I just want to invite you, if you're able, to kneel with me in prayer and just to ask that God would lead us to hear His voice more clearly and to respond like a servant. Father in heaven, here we are, longing to hear Your voice more clearly. Lord, we know a lot about You. But like Samuel, I wonder if we have really grown to hear Your voice, to hear Your call in our life and to share it with others. Here we are, Father. We're wanting to pray this prayer. Speak, Lord, for Your servant is listening. Father, we pray that right now and I pray that we would commit to continuing to pray this prayer day in and day out that we would be pleading with You to speak, that we would be pleading with You to give us instructions as Your servant to go on your errands to reach this world for you. Father, we want to walk closely with you like Samuel did. We want to know you like Samuel did. Would you please pour out your Holy Spirit on us? Would you speak for your servants are listening? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.